Greetings listeners from all corners of the world, it's the Esports Asia Weekly Podcast. For this episode, we're curious about NFT gaming and esports, so we interviewed someone from the space. We have with us today Joe, the co-founder of the Lunasian Scholarship League. Joe, how have you been today? I'm good, I'm good. Weekend, good time. Nice yeah, rest. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday, we were talking about playing games, right? Oh, yeah. How yeah. do you do relax on Saturday, actually? Oh, I mean, it was a tough because there's also so many streams and esports show, uh, broadcasts to watch. So it's rest that you're half working because you're watching it for work, but you enjoy. I enjoy it, so... It's more rest than the weekday. The weekday, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like I was trying to stay up for the OG versus Thai Tundra esports for the TI Ten qualifiers yesterday, but like I had an episode yeah. to prepare for, so I couldn't watch it all. The way <laughs> so yeah, I, I also couldn't. I only stayed till the one one. I, I couldn't after that. Oh, really. Yeah. Well, good times. But um, yeah. tell us a more about the Lunasian Scholarship League. I mean, it involves Axie, but uh, tell us how it's run. Yeah, so the uh, um, National Scholarship League is a uh, you know it's a, a classic esports league where what happens is the teams that compete are scholarships. Uh, this concept in the Axie Infinity or blockchain NFT gaming space, uh, and essentially there's these scholars, these scholarships. Uh, we treat them as teams, and the scholarships under the uh, under each program send representatives to battle in a classic esports league style. So we have a, our season one just completed, which was a three-month uh, leaderboard style, um, every month, monthly bracket, uh, this guarded points. And now we're preparing for season two, which will run the second half of the year and exploring new formats because the game is you know pretty much still in alpha. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, speaking about it being in alpha, why is the league called a scholarship league? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's called the Scholarship League because uh, the teams that compete are essentially scholarships. Um, so I can share a bit more about scholarships if that's what, if that's what you it would help. Yeah, for sure. Uh, right. So uh, very unique, I think, to the to the NFT blockchain space areas. This concept of scholarships. So what happened was, as a blockchain game that is you know somewhat like a mix of Pokemon with a card game, uh, a lot of how uh, axes uh, the creatures right uh, come about is that there is a set of original set of axes and then you people and players who own them uh, breed them so what happened was when it first started there are a lot of people who owned um you know ton, many many axes uh, you have to play with a, with a set of three like a 3v3 battle between the creatures right and uh, because it's built on blockchain there is a barrier to entry because it's a layer two built on ethereum so uh, what happened was people, you know, some clever people decided, you know, we should uh, let more people possibly you know, help people access the game, especially because it, when you play the game, because it's built in Ethereum, the in-game currency uh, has, an, has a value that you can eventually turn into fiat. Mm-hmm. So what scholarships are essentially is a lending program that allows you to lend uh, a set of your access to somebody who has no access possibly to, to play because of the barrier entry of money. And you ba- basically have a revenue share model. Right. Uh, the revenue share model is that they, you get the percent. Yeah, so they basically get a larger percent for doing playing. Mm-hmm. And as the, as the actual owner, you get a cut of the, of the, of the, of the I guess, in-game currency called SLP that they grind. Right. right. Yeah. I understand in Philippines, which is where the league is based in, this Axie game is pretty, pretty popular. Why has it become so popular? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to, to clarify some of it there, uh, the league is because we operate it, we're based in the Philippines. But uh, we, uh, we, all of our players are from all around the globe. We have Venezuelans who play at ungodly times, yeah. uh, Europeans, South, uh, South Africans. 
uh, but majority Southeast Asia. And to your point, it's extremely big in the Philippines, I think, because a lot of a few of the early adopters of NFT gaming were prominent people uh, from the Philippine gaming, you know, uh, circle, game design circles. Yeah. And uh, you know, with a place that was hit very heavily with the pandemic, uh, and being one of the biggest, you know, mobile gaming countries in the world, uh, the game is actually mobile. Yeah. And what happened was people started because of the the value of SLP within game currency. Uh, it started spreading a little bit like wildfire that you could earn more or at the ta- like late late last year close to minimum wage and now more than minimum wage by playing the game even at, as a scholar, right? So that's why it's pretty much it's helped so many people who have uh, lost their jobs through the pandemic. I see. Yeah, it's pretty cool that the game actually allows you to play and earn and in a yeah. more or less sustainable way, right? Because you can keep earning. There's no barriers to earning. How, how does the mechanics work like? Well, uh, the barrier to earning is really just the transfer fees to convert it to fiat, mm-hmm. right? So you, you when you play the game, you like any other battle game or you know, you, every time you win or you play the adventure mode, there's a you spend a certain amount of energy, uh, which helps control, like just people just not, I guess, yeah. 24 hours of farming uh, and you you make a, a certain number of SLP. And because SLP is built on Ethereum, uh, what happens is you can uh, bridge it back to Ethereum, which is a layer one blockchain, and eventually cash it out to fiat using any of the accredited uh, financial systems that allow your any country or to uh, to, to uh, trans- transfer it to fiat currency or yeah. most Filipinos as well, yeah. Yeah. So it lets you earn basically a second layer currency that you can transfer back to Ethereum and then you can cash out the Ethereum at your nearest uh, crypto exchange. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Which is, uh, and people caught on, I mean, you get people who basically have no job and they like playing games. You tell them that you play a game and you can make money. So the entire movement is called play to earn. Oh. And um, yeah, it's it's the, uh, called like wildfire now in yeah. the Philippines. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so many facebook posts about it people even posting their <laughs> earnings and what do you, do you think there's like a control to this or you know should it just is it is it a boom right now i'm just worried about the second the the other side of it sorry what do you mean by the other side of it uh, like, you know, um, is it is it there, is there too much hype for it to sustain itself well uh, you know i get this question a lot and it's a very good point to to bring up right um so me and my partners, but we, we, I guess we come more from uh, some level of market experience. And you know, anything that keeps going up, you know, the, the, the philosophy is that there always has to be some sort of contraction. Yeah. And things with Axie Infinity, it's been ex- so explosive that uh, we keep anticipating it for it to, you know, to correct itself, like a correction, right? Um, but uh, I think what's different about Axie Infinity and compared to I guess, many of the other blockchain games is that uh, what we found, every time we're expecting it to, to correct, it does a little bit, but the, the devs and the, the publisher, Sky Mavis, right, they are incredibly intelligent people. And uh, as gamers, especially esports, you know, when we as esports people, when we try to organize, we strategize based on, a lot of it is dependent on the game design yeah. and how well the actual game is you know, built, designed as, as, as just a game itself. And when we sat down about it, we thought that uh, as a game itself, remove all of the financial side of it, right? Uh, and the blockchain, it's a, it's a good game. It's a fun game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that and that in itself, I think, was it was a, a sort of difference. So in this case, uh, I guess talk about other blockchain games. There's risk in terms of anything uh, as a financial model. Anything related to I guess blockchain or crypto does entail a lot more risk, I think, than most most things. Um, but the, the the game design, I think, was, was well enough. So I think the adoption 
seemingly all gonna keep going to keep continuing. Mm. Uh, the risk I would definitely believe is that literacy to blockchain. Yeah. Uh, you can make a lot of mistakes doing some of the technological side of it, like transfers, um, understanding things like addresses. But uh, it could. Uh, I think you know, I think that it's a little bit inflated right now because of the the hyper growth. Yeah. But uh, that that's I guess the direct answer. We think we think it definitely is. But uh, so far, we've been wrong a lot of the time related to predicting, yeah. uh, trying to predict the uh, the correction, yeah. and it just keeps going up. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not a financial expert, so not financial advice, but um, we're just bullish about the game design in itself, and that people enjoy playing it, and we believe it's good. There's good game experience. Yeah, I mean, this, um, and this, yeah, yeah, this is one so, of the rare times where you have like an actual money investment thing tied to playing a game right yeah it's, it's been tried and done before through uh, alternate currencies like even like not it, it's not really crypto with the razor play to earn program where mm. you know you earn razor silver you, you exchange it for uh, razor products but it's actually mm. actual money like the slp you can just transfer it directly to money and this yeah. this is completely new right where you can actually put like literally as you say right uh how much money you can earn per hour and it's more than minimum wage and i think that's the most exciting part yeah yeah absolutely for for most people that's really what it is and for people who uh, you have a, a wild combination of things but which is you know a, a large workforce at least in the philippines in particular yeah. uh, and you know the the paper hour is just it's not a lot it's not it doesn't help a lot of people actually be able to to uplift the the quality of their lives mm, um yeah. we also have a lot of people who have i mean stress straight like if you're making an equivalent to spend a lot more time in a nine to five yeah and you do a quarter or even less, like uh, just a fraction of that hours a day in this game, and you make equivalent or more. Right. So yeah, it's quite exciting for a lot of people. But I, I would say my personal opinion, because I, it is not financial advice. I, I think obviously it's, there's a lot of risk involved, and I don't encourage it for people who have something stable to, yeah. to fully. Uh, I feel like to just be aware of the risks, uh, like anything. Yeah, and and there are so many risks. The the knowledge gap is great in cryptocurrency, and especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to NFTs, and I would imagine mm-hmm. this is why Axie itself uh, doesn't endorse scholarships officially, but instead they're actually developing a new feature called guilds to make it official. Correct. Like, uh, how how much have you explored guilds, and can you tell us a bit about it? Well, uh, I think that what is interesting about it is that yeah, it's completely understandable from the publisher side and lending and items. The 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 concept of the scholarship is definitely not openly endorsed at first correct and just because of the you know the asset value involved and being responsible for people's assets being distributed to other people uh but what was interesting is in the recent ama uh, conducted by the team mm-hmm. uh they shared that you know the, the power of the scholarships has been proven to a certain level to be you know a large part obviously of the the growth of the game right almost and like what a they did is that, program correct yeah so they, they like, like you said they, the only thing that they've shared is that they're exploring the concept of a vision of a guild guilds wherein uh you know like in any and I guess in some level, many MMOs have a system where you have shared storage related to your guild. And what they do is that they're exploring that idea of officially endorsing this concept of lending within the game itself. Whereas if you're new, you join the guild, you can maybe access a you know a, a, something from the chest or ownership of the guild to be able to play with the actual revenue share already either manual or embedded into the game itself and not with something where it's kind of manually done outside at the moment. So... It's an excellent verbal endorsement of the power of what's being done. Yeah. Um, I think the hand, the hand, handle very professionally without any promises, but they know that it's a force and they're willing to think, they know that it's doing some good and they're willing to explore it in that direction. Yeah. 
for sure I've been looking at the how the scholarships work out and uh, there's a lot of trust involved in the system right now um, mm. first the person who owns the axes have to trust the people who are playing with the account password uh, even though the ownership is not at risk but also um, the player itself have to trust that the owner will transfer to them the money that they've earned yeah yeah you're right it's it's uh... <laughs> Uh, I think there's been uh, baby steps of improvement. Um, you're right. Uh, I think an important thing for people who might not be familiar is that because it's uh, the owner still manages the wallet transactions. Absolutely. That means that the players themselves they can play, they can access the game, but they can't actually transact or steal. You know, the worst case scenario, the axes or something like that. But uh, at the same time, there's a lot of trust in the scholar and to make sure because of the transaction side, they have to trust that the the, the scholarship owner or manager will be able to to transact back to them. I think the, what's interesting about it is that. Uh, compared to, I think, a lot of things, it's really thr- a lot of it has thrived on the entire culture of the community. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, because it started so small, and a lot of people who are led this, this concept of scholarships are mostly know each other. I would say that at least the people who have lots and lots of scholars already in the big programs. Yeah. And there's uh, lots of check and balance really done by the community. I can't say for sure if it's a, it's a good, I mean, it's a perfect system because you don't know what happens outside in, in you know, in yeah. post conversations. But yeah. The way the community has been, I would say, uh, very, very vocal, very strong about it. Uh, I guess the worry right now to your concern is that the, the game is, the actual player base has grown through scholarships. How many X? You know, 350,000 daily users now from like 10 digits early in the year. Yeah. And uh, now we have no way of knowing of you know, uh, how well the community can really rally together to make sure that both ends are quite safe. Or, or it's all trust and honesty at this moment until something is endorsed. Absolutely. Like um, even on the unofficial side, there are people already considering like what makes a fair split and what makes like a kind of like a more predatory split. And I think the number Correct. is somewhere between like uh, 75, 80 to the player and about 30, 35 to the owner. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, most of it started in that range. I think the lowest I've seen at this, I feel, I felt is socially. I've seen at least prominent people in the community say socially acceptable is around 60, 40 at the least. But yeah. most every almost everybody tries to go much higher, at least from the original concept, because the entire idea of a scholarship. I, maybe I felt felt that earlier. Why it's called the scholarship is because not only are you sponsoring them to be able to play, but the idea is this concept of graduating. Yeah. And when you graduate, the idea originally is that you give them the revenue share so that they can save enough until they can buy their own so the idea is from player to owner um so accelerating that with a higher percentage is the point of being called the scholarship as well mm-hmm. uh and like you said now because of the demand uh, you know we see some less than i mean my my own opinion uh less than altruistic reasons for doing it of people doing it with more predatory you know less frowned upon by the greater the original community yeah. of people's managers taking more than 50 percent or more than more than more than their forty percent, actually. Um, so much so, it's so tough now for for scholars to you know, the, the comparison of somebody making seventy percent, seventy five or sixty five versus making twenty five to forty percent is is quite huge. Yeah, it is. Right. So yeah, those are things that are emerging that the community is now trying to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, but for yourself, for the scholarship league, how what have you done to make it safer? Like, are you, are you in talks with the managers and the scholars themselves about how their arrangements are? Yeah, so I mean, I guess to be completely frank about it, we're also, you know, we're, we're focused a lot on the recreational aspect it does. I, as a person who believes in esports and competitive play in general, what we believe is that for, lots of, for all these people, it can also turn into a bit of a job. And the last thing we want is for it to feel like that. So we created the league because as a game, we eventually feel that, you know, esports is going to be inevitable. 
Uh, like most games, if it has promise, which we think it does. Yeah. And second, it provides a recreational aspect. In terms of safety, um, what we do is we've tied into, uh, we, yes, we're, we have a constant circle of the, the, the scholarship heads who join our tournament. We create parameters as well related to what type of scholarships can join. And a lot, because a lot of them are the original ones, uh, we adhere to the same principles of value, like you know, majority split. Uh, but more importantly, we tied in with a uh, a community of leaders. Uh, I think more than 200, uh, sorry, more than 100 scholarship owners already yeah. uh, who... Uh, create uh, who create tools and who who talk together about what is how to make sure that their scholarships are are our scholarships are safe and also as because they own the assets how to make sure that their uh, their assets are also protected um, and healthy so we rely on this community of of um, Axie leaders Axie scholarship leaders uh, to help vet mm-hmm. the programs that they're all you know well run programs right yeah um, yeah so that's why this program that that they, it has its own it's almost like an association. It's a guild in itself, I would say, yeah. uh, or an association of leaders. And they, the amazing people in the community lead that. Uh, we were able to, to, to work with them. And yeah, that, that, that kind of offloads that part in our end as a scholarship um, league yeah. because that exists. Yeah, it sounds awesome, actually. Now, Joe, you're actually a partner at multiple esports properties in Southeast Asia, like including yeah. Ad Arena, Overdrive Studios, which is a esports design studio, and C-Sport, mm-hmm. which we both are very familiar with, which yeah, yeah. tournaments. How has all these experiences led you to, you know, working with Axie and then uh, creating this, like, league idea for it? Oh, okay, wow. Um, well... What was interesting is, well, I, I really like the idea of, you know, uh, building in esports. I've loved it for a while. And I'm, obviously, you know, and I'm very honored to be able to be part of, like, you know, esports, something we're both part of, right? Yeah. Uh, what happened, I think, was that we, it was absolutely by accident. Um, we had uh, one of my partners, Lars, after Overdrive, was asked to speak at an event related to esports in general. And it just so happened that that uh, the the one who owned the business that was, um and that's just free sports talk. Said, hey, uh, he owned, uh, this is Peter, our now partner also at um, LSL. Uh, he owned a scholarship because he was uh, in an education space related to learning everything about blockchain. And he basically just, hey, do you think that this game, this is a game, this is a blockchain game, and you think there's any sports, any future for esports in it? Uh, and was, what was wonderful was that Lars also does our business, does business development research for us. And he, you know, researched, he asked the game, he asked about the game, sat down, learned a little about it, mm-hmm. uh, did a two-week sprint on just learning and deep diving it for our own uh, intel. Uh, and I was very blessed as well to know um, Gabby Dizon. So Gabby, she's the, you know, one of the leading uh, people in the world right now for NFTs, uh, I would say, a founder of YGG. Uh, and we also consulted with him and he told us about Axie Infinity. And for us, the, the, the breaking, the tipping point, I would say, was that when we were, what it made sense to us with NFT gaming meant was that I could own on the blockchain to, through that validity. I could own the assets in the game I play mm-hmm. versus which was never really possible in any other game in my life. You know, it's always owned by the publisher. You own it, you buy it, you pay for stuff and you never actually have ownership. And if you do buy and selling, almost always it's outside of the terms of service. And that was for us was like a clicking point. Because we had, we had a basic understanding of the blockchain already, uh, lucky in that aspect, it, we were like, this is this is the future. We thought that this is the future. So uh, we we took a risk. We basically all, we allocated marketing budget that C-Sport and Overdrive uh-huh. to test out the league uh, and to test the game was good. And uh, you know, we sacrificed revenue for that. Um, and we, saw, we found then the, the last, the last thing in the checklist was that the game was enjoyable and you know, there was a competitive value. Mm-hmm. So that's when we said, oh, let's, let's see what is, the, there are no teams yet. 
and we found scholars, and we found a lot about scholarship. So what happened is we decided to take a test. The initial invitational concept tournament went you know, amazingly well. Uh, like, uh, luckily, they had observers in the game, observer function, uh, and that, that's basically it. So we we believe that, that on our end, we believe that, uh, especially me, uh, that. To some level, because of the power it gives the actual players, which players don't usually have a lot of power in, in gaming, yeah. uh, it's inevitable and on some level uh, for some integration to happen in right. over the years of time. So that's what that's why we that's why we did why we did it. I guess why we believe in it. And it's very interesting to be a guild or an esports organization or team that is self-financed, which is a little crazy. The fact that these scholarships are now becoming at some level esports teams or organizations that are self-financed without the actual need for sponsors, which right. is uh, a crazy concept if you think about how team organization businesses run. Yeah, yeah because you, you usually have to have some external revenue model like through merchandising or through some... Uh, brand endorsement or brand sponsorship but in this case you can just play the game and earn a revenue stream from the game yeah which yeah it's, it, it was, it's a lot to take in but it's a little mind-blowing uh so obviously as, as, as a tournament organizers it's beneficial and uh, you know the, the because they want this competitive environment uh, we, we get support as well to be able to run it from the actual teams which is also in traditional esports uh strange <laughs> yeah it is um, actually, this idea of a recurring revenue stream from a game is pretty uncommon. Like, usually it's, as you previously mentioned, it's, it's kind of an illegal outside of terms of service way of earning money from the game. But um, for XE itself, it seems to be this kind of very sustainable, so-called sustainable, and uh, <laughs> constant stream of revenue. What's preventing it from just scaling up this way and just continuing mm. being this uh, revenue mo- revenue source is there a well, I, what I think yeah well I think that there I, th- I guess to some extent I'm not a financial expert but um, and uh, so take some of this to the game of salt because I may not understand all of the tokenomics or economics perfectly yeah. but what I like about what they've done is that there are caps to a lot of the things that they're doing and the, the owners uh, the, the, the publishers even if the plan is to make it decentralized and majority owned by the players at the moment they're really spearheading it with their majority you know control mm-hmm. and uh Example, the governance token. So the governance token is called AXS, uh, which is different from what you farm in-game. It, 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 when it's launched, it, they said it would become a utility token, which, uh, which would, what it means is that some part of the game, interact, it will be interacted with to help control the economy. There's a fixed number of AXS. I think only a quarter of it has ever, as it's actually released into the market. Um, but now it's integrated. This when you have to breed axes. So now there are more than a million axes, um, the creatures, right? And when you breed, you you actually have to spend the SLP you grind in game, yeah. which helps keep the actual supply managed. And more than that, you also have to spend a part of the governance token. Mm-hmm. So the governance token is also used. So there's there they basically and they, they recently increased the price of number of a- tokens you have to use to breed for AXS to slow down the hyper growth of people just spending and all, all the money all the new money i guess moving into the space of people now interested right in it so they they you know every month there's a it's an alpha it's just one what's what's amazing about it the thought the community gives them the trust yeah. to and they justify well the economics that they're putting uh they're putting out there uh, i guess that the reason that the growth is happening is that there's just so much potential for it at the moment so uh they're they're adding these uh, these things that help uh, manage the growth just a bit so that they can also grow the technology and to match the, the servers yeah uh, but yes, I, I guess the answer there is that um, the sustainability is there because I think compared to any other NFT blockchain games I'm seeing, uh, their tokenomics and use of the resources and utility is second to none mm-hmm. um, in the space. Uh, 
I actually see them more as economists, economic yeah. people, building an actual nation. They're starting to value the entire thing in GDP now, yeah. just because it's an actual economy. Yeah, similar to managing like an in-game economy for an MMO, isn't it? Uh, you have to have yes. an actual economics professor in, and then now <laughs> you have like a population of axes. You probably have to have a population control person, <laughs> you know, just ensuring yeah. that it doesn't blow, explode, just blow, doesn't blow the game in half. Even though you have yeah, like, yeah. reading limits already. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's it's really uh, it's it's uh, you know all the time we reach out sometimes to, to for advice or related to it, and they usually say that this is uncharted territory. Yeah, and they're very honest with the community about it uh, and the player base, it is. Um, which I think is good. Yeah, and listeners, if you are not familiar with crypto gaming, our advice is to really learn about what you're getting into before you get into it. Especially since for most crypto games, you have to invest a certain amount of fiat currency or be it your crypto token before starting to play. If there aren't any, if there isn't anyone like offering kind of like scholarships similar to Axie, do your research and don't completely trust people who are talking about it online, right? Correct, correct. Do your own research. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but understanding it isn't that simple, and there's so many mechanics and things interacting to make it work. Like, uh, how do you usually talk to people who are trying to figure out the system on like a brand level, not just an individual? Mm. Level? Yeah, that's a very good question because you know when we first started, yeah, you know I'm used to pitching to brands with esports, and you know as, as someone who's you've been in the industry longer than I have, and we've seen, really had to see the transition between people understanding the value of esports entertainment and all of that so that that's kind of in the growth stage where most people it's easier to present it to brands yeah. um but we the, the blockchain gaming part is so fresh that the i actually not i'm able to talk with a brand related to sponsoring our league that they understood it enough to want to do it especially because regulation is still being developed yeah. for blockchain so uh, commercial brands who are not native to yeah. crypto space are not ready to sponsor something like this yet Mm-hmm. I'm hoping soon because of the adoption is quite quick. But right now, most of our sponsorship and support is literally coming from the actual community itself because, again, the community itself and the game earns. And also brands that are uh, and businesses that are already within the crypto space uh, right. that are uh, looking for uh, more adoption of people who are native to crypto. And gaming is being, is fast becoming, or if not confirmed, as one of the best onboarding tools for right now for people to learn a little bit more about blockchain technology that's yeah. pretty cool because i saw the other day evil geniuses was now sub- sponsored by coinbase yep you, know, you never know you know the lsl sponsored by coinbase next <laughs> well more, so yeah and like what was the other day uh there's dsm fdx which is also an exchange mm-hmm. i think og also has one as well um but yeah so what we are our first season was sponsored by hello dao yeah so hello dao is a um, a, a authorized proto- it's a protocol and what's awesome about them is they're designing stable coins that are not US dollar mm. so they're about they're building the stable coins uh, and for the stable coins it's blockchain currencies pegged to a fiat currency so mm. like dollar to dollar so they're building uh, and they're going to make a, what I understand is the first one set for Southeast Asian currencies so it's mm. if you're a Filipino and you you can basically now you can transfer your Philippine dollar mm. effectively okay. Yeah, it depends on the peso. So for yeah. a lot of these people now, so all these people now who are averse to you know currency changes, for them at least, all they have to do now is know the blockchain currency mm-hmm. and the equivalent. Uh, they know that there's a currency that's equivalent of peso in it, yeah. and they're not 
jumped around dollars and other types of currency. Same for other countries in Southeast Asia. So yeah, we're we're that's that was our um, sponsor for season one, which was an amazing thing. Where I know that they're launching that the actual stable coins. I think it's quite soon. Mm-hmm. So that's quite, like I said, it's quite powerful. Yeah, it's pretty cool. A lot of new financial instruments coming in, especially thanks to crypto. But uh, do you yeah. have any things about season two about ASL, LSL you want to share with us? <laughs> oh yeah, okay. I definitely can. I, I'm allowed to share what I uh, can from at least the our, our lead ops head, right? Just because mm-hmm. so many people are trying to ask us in the scholarship head, especially about for competitive advantage. So things that I can share, which I believe I may have shared, there's the... the for we're not doing an Axie restriction. Our first season, we had a restriction of types because of the barrier entry. We wanted to restrict the types. So it was just a bl- very bl- plant and beast type. And for the next season, we're actually opening it to all types, all six, all nine types of Axies to be able to play. Just because the, now it's the, the, the game has become more, all types of Axies become more accessible. Uh, we're also trying a new system that is more based on solo play rather than team play so that more people can join. Uh, we start, imagine in our first season, we had over 100 scholarships after, uh, try to want to compete during the, in the tournament in our first season. Uh, that's like 100 teams in a game in alpha to compete, right? Yeah, man, it's crazy. And now... Yeah, and now we've had uh, you know, so much more. At the time we started the season, there were, I think, uh, f- uh, under 100,000 active daily active users, and now there are 350, at least 350,000 daily active users. Yeah. So now we have individual play, uh, and we should. We'll, it'll start in August, is what I think. I haven't. I'm confirming. I can confirm in this podcast. Okay. It's starting in August, and we'll announce it really, really, really soon. Uh, we're also collaborating with a lot of content creators as well because people are t- want to learn more about the game and how to get better in it competitively. Right. Yeah, I hope it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Any information is awesome. And do people have a place to join the LSL community? Yeah. Yeah. So all that to do is you can jo- you can go to our website lsl.gg. Uh, and it has everything there from the link to our Discord where we have uh, weekly casual tournaments every Friday called Friday Night Friday Night Axie. Oh, uh, tribute to, um, uh, you know, a magic, Friday Night Magic. Yeah. Uh, where a lot of people, it's wonderful, a lot of people are learning how to play. A lot of these people learn, play DAO because of this game, but have never played in a competitive setting. So every week we just, everybody can join. We have like 100 players every, every Friday and all these people are learning about brackets, how to queue up um, strategy. So that's one way. And then everything is on our website, lsl.gg. I learned so much our discord and follow us on twitter at sl underscore gg awesome joe thanks for your time man it's been great having you on here well thank you so much you see it's it's, it's uh yeah i'm love spreading the word about it i really believe in it and i'm happy people are more interested in playing the game yeah and uh we hope to see season two coming august and uh wish you all the best for the next season thank you thank you thank you i hope you can cover it and be a part in some way i'm all excited right. for that <laughs> okay <I'll try. laughs> thank you so much no problem see you see ya